Amen. So Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start by reading the whole chapter. You can turn there in your uh, Bibles or your devices, and it will also be up on the screen. Genesis chapter 15, it says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. The Lord took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed he can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then the Lord also said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain... That for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is really weird, isn't it? We'll talk about it. (laughs) On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Dustmites, Bugbites, just seeing if you're paying attention. Canaanites, Gerashites, and Jebusites. And that's Genesis chapter 15. So we're going to go back to the beginning and not talk about what this means. What's that? Gesundheit. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Gesundheit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision... And I, and I hear that. I don't know what you think when you read that, but I read about Abram and the word of the Lord came to him. And I read about guys like Moses and the word of the Lord came to him. And don't you read these things and you think, man, I wish that would happen to me, right? I mean, the, the word, God spoke, I, I guess, in this audible voice. And in this one came to Abram in a vision. And maybe some of you have experienced a vision from the Lord. I, I believe he still speaks like that. And yet some of us, I, I've never had a vision, vision from the Lord in that way. And we read this and we think, man, like, don't you wish I had what Abram had? 
that God would just up and speak out clearly. And, and, and so before we get into this, I just want to take a look real quick at what, what Abram had. Think about this. What did Abram have? He, he, God spoke to him and called him. He said, Abram, come out of the land. We read this a few chapters ago. In Genesis 12, come out of the land you're in and go to the land I'm going to show you. God spoke clearly to him. He spoke to Abram when he was 75 years old. And, and now we're here in Genesis chapter 15. This is the third time God's spoken to him. Abram's probably in his 80s now and speaks to him again. And, and if we keep reading, we'll keep reading through the life of Abram in Genesis. And by the time he di- dies, he's 175. And so from the time that the Lord first spoke to him, when he was 75 years old, till the time he dies, he's 175. God speaks to him eight times over that. Eight times, God says it, but, but you look at these conversations, and they're not exactly the conversation you want to have with the Lord, right? Like when we imagine God speaking to us, it's not like a Q&A session that, that Abram has with God, and he gets everything cleared up and all his questions answered. In, in fact, some of the things the Lord says, they aren't even the things that we'd really want to know about our lives if we had God speak to us like this. And, and Abram had this, and then he, he had his family, and, and, and pretty much nobody else. Abram was a stranger in a strange land. He, he followed the one true God amidst a whole lot of people who didn't. And that's what Abram had. Do you wish he had what he had? <laughs> now, no, what do we have? Abram had eight conversations with God over a hundred years. And God didn't speak to him until he got to the age of 75 the first time. What do we have? We have, we have Scripture. God has spoken to us. Not just once. We don't have to wait till we're 75. Not just eight times over the course of 100 years. God has spoken cover to cover through his people, by the power of his Holy Spirit, through the uniqueness of every biblical author, he has inspired this word so that every word of it is truth. And from cover to cover, it tells us who God is and what he's like and what his character is like and his intention for you and me and his purpose for us in this world. This is what you have. And, and not just that. Do you know what today is? Today's Pentecost. Today's Pentecost. This is the day that we don't make a big deal out of Pentecost in our non-denominational church, but some churches do. Pentecost is the day that we celebrate 2,000 years ago, the birth of the church. That after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until power comes on you from on high. And at Pentecost, it happened. And the Spirit of the living God came over his people in power. And he never left. And the church of Christ was born on that day. And so what you have is not just the Word of God in Scripture. You have the people of God for 2,000 years who have been following faithfully this Word. And and you have this, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of the living God in you now. 
Do do you want what Abraham had? Let me tell you something. He wanted what we have. The prophets that, that God spoke to clearly, they longed for this. Do you know what you have? Are you listening? Are you looking in this word to hear who God is and how much he cares about you and his intention for your life? Are you gathering with his people? Are you listening to the spirit of the living God who rests and dwells inside you if you are his child? Do you know what you have? Don't long for what Abraham has. Be glad and grateful what for what you have. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And what does he say? He says, do not be afraid. This is the first time in scripture that we hear these four words that are spoken over and over and over again. And I need to hear them. I don't know about you. I need to hear them every time. Do not be afraid. And God says this. Why do we need to hear this again and again? Because we get afraid. So why did Abram need to hear the Lord say, do not be afraid? Because he was afraid. Why? I don't know, but it it says the Lord says this after this. After these things, the Lord said this. After what things? Well, after after chapter 14. We don't know. Some time has passed probably between now and then, but this is the last thing we saw with Abram. Remember last week, if you were with us, Matt taught through chapter 14, and we saw how Abram... This kind of wander in the wilderness gathered over 300 men with him. And and he becomes this warrior and and goes off against these four victorious kings who've taken all these, um, all all these, uh, they've kidnapped all these people and taken all these uh, uh, treasures for themselves. And one of the people they kidnapped was, was Abram's nephew Lot. And so Abram goes and rescues him. And defeats the kings and brings everything back. And then what happens is the king, one of the kings who had lost, the king of Sodom, says, hey, just give us the people and, and you take all the stuff for yourself. And, and, and Matt told us that wasn't because the king was being generous. That's just what they did back in those days. That was like a, an obligation that you give all the spoils of war to the, to the one who actually did the fighting, who won. So Abram had rights to all of this. And he said, no, I'm not taking a thing. I'm not taking a thing unless you, because I don't want you saying later on that you made me rich. And this is what happened. And now here we are. Some time has passed. And the word of the Lord comes and says, don't be afraid. So why is Abram afraid? Well, it could be a couple reasons. Maybe, maybe some time has passed and these four kings that beat him, they've had, that, that he beat, like they've had time to gather more armies around him. So maybe he's afraid because they might be coming back now. Enough time has passed. They've maybe gathered some new people around them, and he wonders, are they coming for me? And he might be afraid. And, and now some time has passed, and he still hasn't inherited this land God promised. And maybe he's looking back, and he's saying, I, you know what? I said no to all those treasures. Maybe I should have said yes to them. I, I haven't seen treasures like that since then, and maybe I should have said yes. That was, maybe that was the way that I, I could make sure that me and my family would be taken care of. And so maybe this is why he's afraid. And the Lord comes, and what is he saying to this? He says, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. 
I, I love this. You look back, you know what I found in one place? You look, there, there's this word play here that I think the author is trying to draw our attention to. We don't see it in English, though. You see it back in the ori- original language. Back, back last chapter, Melchizedek came to Abram and he said, Blessed be the God who delivered. Right? Remember that? He said, Blessed be the God who delivered. And you know that word delivered? It's this. It's Megan in the Hebrew. Delivered. That's it on the left. Megan. And now Abram's afraid, and God comes to him and says, Guess what, Abram? I am your Megan. I'm your shield. That's the word on the right. And if the original author, when he wrote this, and the original audience was reading this, they look back and look how similar those words look. Just a few verses earlier, they read, God was Megan, deliverer. And now a few verses later, they read, God says, I am your Megan, I'm your shield. What is he saying? I'm still the same. Abram, are you afraid? The God who delivered you before, that's still me. And I am the God who will protect you now. Are you afraid, Abram? I still am your shield. Abram, you you thought you were taken care of back then so you could say no to all those treasures. I am still your provider now. So don't be afraid. See, what we truly need God to be today, what you truly need God to be for you today, it's who he's always been. And he still is that. What God was to Abram, he is to you and me. So, so some of us, were afraid of what's happening or what's not happening in our lives. We need to go back and rehearse who God is. That's why we gather every week and go into Scripture. That's why I hope you're diving into Scripture every day because we need a reminder of who our God is because that's who we need him to be for us today. It's like Paul David Tripp says in this devotional, if you've been reading along with us, how many times does he say again and again that we're, we're amnesiacs? We're identity amnesiacs, Right? He says we forget who we are, and we forget who God is, and we need reminded again and again. And so God comes back to Abram and back to us and says, listen, I was your protector then. I'm still your protector. I provided for you in the past. I'm still going to provide for you now. And it doesn't mean that everything goes the way we want it to or that we avoid hardship. We're going to see that for Abram in just a few minutes. But it does mean that God is Lord over all of it. Listen. He didn't protect you in the past to destroy you now. God God didn't provide for you in the past just to leave you empty now. He didn't rescue you from the ditch of your own rebellion and sin and drag you up out of that and set his spirit in you just to leave you to yourself now and give up on you. He is still who he said he was. Listen to me. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? And it doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to be rich and that doesn't mean you're going to be healthy or comfortable. It, it just means this. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ down to die for you and pay the penalty for your sins. And he did that when you were a rebel, 
you had turned your back on him and you wanted nothing to do with him. When that was still going on for you, he sent Jesus. And so now, when you're turned towards him, he's not going to give up on you. He still loves you. He's still going to provide for you. He is still your rescuer. He is still your provider. He is still your deliverer. He is still your shield. He's still your reward. He shows up to Abram and he says, what I was in the past, I still am today. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So are you turning towards him? Are you crying out to him because he still is who he said he was? That's what Abram does. You know what he does? He cries out to God. He says this. Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And here maybe he's... Another reason that Abram was afraid, maybe the biggest reason Abram was afraid, he still doesn't have a kid. And listen, God said a a while back that his descendants were going to be like the dust of the earth. And he was going to give his descendants this land. You You don't have to look too hard to know that the promises that God made Abram, they all hinge on one thing, a kid. And Abram still doesn't have a kid. And Abram says, so what can you give me since I remain childless? He says, God, listen, you promised my descendants would be like the dust of the earth. You promised this is where I was heading. But I'm going this way. I'm still going childless. I'm still heading this complete other direction apart from what you promised. And you know what? I'm going to keep heading there. That's what he says. I keep going childless. Most commentaries, most scholars look at this phrase, I remain childless. And and, and what Abram's really saying there is that I'm going to die this way. I'm childless right now, and I'm just going to keep heading this way, and it's always going to be this way. And And doesn't it feel like that when we're anxious and hopeless? When we're in this dark place, and things are rough, we don't know why things are the way they are, they're just difficult And it can be relationships, it can be our health, it can be whatever's going on in our lives that that we're in a hard place and it feels like it's always going to be that way. And and that's what Abram's saying. It's, God, here I am and it's always going to be this way. And he's taking the despair he feels today and he's projecting it into the future. And you know what he's really doing? He's playing God. He's saying, I know know what the future's going to be. It's going to be like this. And and Abram, by the way, it's just going to get worse. And, and when we're in despair and when we're hopeless, this is the way it can be, that we act like we know what the future is. We act like it's always going to be this way. We th- get to thinking we know better. We get to thinking we know the way things will go. And here, here's the thing. We get to thinking we know the way things should go. God, this isn't the way it's supposed to work out. God, I shouldn't have to be going through this. And, and God, and ultimately, we're looking around for someone to blame, and ultimately, we land on God sometimes, just like Abram did. Abram lands at God, and he throws it all at God's feet. He says, you have given me no children. God, this is all your fault. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? The woman you gave me. The serpent you put here, 
he said, and, and we throw the blame back on God, thinking we know better than him, that we know, think we know the way things should go. And it's God's fault. And then what's left to us? If this is God's fault, if he's holding out on us, it's up to us to figure it out, isn't it? And that's where Abram is landing right here. He says, well, since I remain childless, I guess the one who will inherit my, my house is going to be Eliezer, my servant. See, what, what Abram's pointing to is there's this cultural norm for him right now. That, that people back in that day, there was this tradition that if a couple was childless, they could adopt their servant. And their servant would take care of them in their old age, and then their servant would inherit all their household. And Abram's saying, well, that, maybe, that's, maybe this is your promise, God. Maybe this is all it was. This is the way you're going to fulfill it. And, he, and he's looking to manufacture a fulfillment of the promise by looking at the customs of his time. And, and how many times do we look around us and we do that when we don't see God fulfilling his promises? We look around us and saying, well, God, maybe this is what you had in mind. Maybe it was far less than I imagined. Maybe it was far less than I thought because this just makes sense and I guess this is the way that's going forward. And God, God says, no. <laughs> I'm not a God of far less than you think. I'm not a God of far less than you can imagine. I'm the God who is able to do far and above what you could ask or imagine. And that's what he comes and ultimately that's what he says to Abram. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Abram, you don't have it right. You haven't figured it out. It's not what you think. You're not going to keep going that way. You don't know the future. I do. And you're going to have a son who's your own flesh and blood. Who will be your heir? And, and see, ultimately... And Abram's anxiety, and Abram's frustration, and Abram's impatience. You know, those, those questions that he asks, those are questions we ask when we get desperate, don't we? Lord, why am I going through this? How, how are you going to work this out? How is this going to get worked out? When is, gonna, is this situation going to end? And we ask why, or how, or when, and you know what God just says? I promise it will. I promise it will. And that's what he gives Abraham here. He doesn't give him an explanation. He doesn't give him a reason. He doesn't give him a timeline. He just gives him a promise. Listen, he says, it's going to be okay. And isn't that what we really need? When, when things are wrong in our life, we don't need an explanation. We don't know the reason why. As much as we would want to know when it's going to get fixed, we don't really need that. What we really need is a promise from someone we can trust. It's, it's like my, when my son, uh, this was a few years back, I, I, I come to pick up my kids from my in-law's house, and they're always playing at something, right? And so I come back, and what they're playing at this time is, is my in-laws, they live on this, their, their street is, just has a little bit of a slope to it, a little gentle slope, nice to ride bikes down and everything, right? And so my kids have this red rider wagon, and this four-wheeled wagon, and they're running it down this slope. But they're not dragging it down this slope. They're riding it down this slope, right? And they've got the long handle, and they're riding it down this slope. And it looks a lot of fun. They're having a blast. And so I just pull up, and I'm just taking in what they're doing. And then they, they run up around the corner, and they're going to ride this down again. And down comes the wagon, except now there's not one of them in there. There's two of them in there. There's two of my kids in this wagon, and it starts picking up speed. And I just start thinking, uh-oh. And about the time I think, uh-oh, they might lose control of that, they actually lose control of that. 
And the, the wagon wheels in the front, they, they weave back and forth. And the weight of both my kids in it, my daughter can't control it. And the wagon flips, and both my kids get spilled out onto the concrete. My son Asher and my son Laney, they get spilled out onto the concrete, and they are a mess, right? Scratched up and beat up and crying. And I go uh, run over, and, and their grandparents run over. Everybody runs over to comfort them and brush them off and everything. And Asher says his arm hurts, and so I feel around it. And, it, oh, it hurts a little bit, but it's not too bad. He's not wincing in pain. He says, okay, I don't think it's broken. It just needs to heal, so you're going to be okay. In the next two or three days, you know, we keep feeling around there, and it's, it's not broken. You're going to be okay. <laughs> it's not broken. You're going to be okay. And after three or four days of this, you know what's coming. I take him to the doctor, and guess what? It's broken. And, and, and the doctor, he, the doctor could have done a little better. He didn't have the best bedside manner, right? He comes in and shows the x-ray, and he starts talking about the, the radius bone and how my son can't stretch supinely or whatever, and it, all of this stuff. And, but ultimately, you know what the doctor said? You know, you know what it showed? The doctor knew a whole lot more uh, about medicine than I did, Right? And so when the doctor, at the end of that, the doctor said, listen, we're going to put a cast on that. And about four, four to six weeks, you're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be better than ever because that bone around it, it's going to heal and it's going to be stronger than it ever was. And you're going to be okay. And ultimately, you know, that's what my son needed. He needed that promise, you're going to be okay. But he didn't need it from his dad, who didn't know anything, he needed it from somebody he could trust. And God, that's what we need in these times. We need a promise we can count on from a person we can trust. And God comes to Abram and he says, here's my promise. He says, listen, by the way, you can trust me too. Watch, come outside. <laughs> come out, of, come in, Abram, come out of your tent. I've got to show you this. Look up. Get a load of that. Get a load of all those stars. And, and remember this, like we look up at the sky and we see, if we could count on maybe like 50, 100 stars, this was before any light pollution. So Abram just sees thousands and millions of stars. And God said, I promise you're not going to just have one kid, not just the dust of the earth, but take a look at that. That's what your offspring are going to be like. And the promise God gives him is just, it's even better than the promise he gave him before. He says, look up. I did that. Do you think I can take care of getting you one kid? I'm going to take care of getting you thousands and millions of offspring. Because that's who I am. Because you can trust me. And you can trust my promise. He says, count the stars if you can. I love that. <laughs> Abram had no clue. He couldn't count the stars. Folks, do you know something? We still can't. We still can't count them. There, we, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, and there are, we have a guess. That's all that we can do is we can guess. Scientists, as much as they study, all they can do is guess. There's about 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Oh, but that's not the end. There's two trillion galaxies. 400 billion stars per galaxy, give or take a few billion. And at least two 
trillion galaxies. And God brings Abram outside and says, look at that. I promise your kids are going to be like that. And Abram had to look up at that. If you looked up at the night sky recently, he looked up at the stars recently, two trillion galaxies, 400 billion stars per galaxy. Folks, that should humble us. And we think we know what's best. And we think we know what our future holds. Listen, it's got to be clear, we don't know anything. Abram had to come outside and he look up and say, God, you're right, I don't know anything. And God says, that's what your ancestor, that's what your descendants are going to be like. Rich Mullins, I love the, these songs that Rich Mullins sings. He was a Christian singer back in the 80s or 90s when I was growing up. He has this one song, he says, Sometimes I think of Abraham, and I look up, and, and I think how, let me, let me get the line right. <laughs> I misquoted. Sometimes I think of Abraham, and how one star he saw had been lit for me. See, we can go up, go outside in the night sky, and look up just like Abraham did, and be wowed. God is that big. God is capable of creating all of that. And don't forget this. When he said, that's what your descendants to Abraham will be like, there was a star that was lit for you, son of God. There was a star that was lit for you, daughter of God. Man, is, does that honor you? To, to, to hear that, that the God of all creation is not just big enough that he can do all of that, not just capable enough that he can fix anything in your life, but he is loving and attentive enough that he cares and is concerned about you, and he has his attention on you, and his gaze on you. And even when he was thinking of Abraham, and said, that, what all your kids are going to be like, there's a star that was up there for you, because you're a son or daughter of Abraham in the faith. And like Abraham, we can look at the stars and be humbled, we can look at the stars and be honored, but mostly look and believe. It says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This, this word believe, it's, it's the same root word in Hebrew as the word amen. And so when it says Abram believed God, it just means Abram said amen. God, I, I, I believe what you said. You said this, God, I'm with you in it. I agree with you. I can lean on this. I know it to be true. Ultimately, it means this. Abram took God at his word. When it says Abram believed, see, it's not intellectual belief. It doesn't mean that Abram just believed God existed. It doesn't mean Abram aligned himself with a certain doctrine or, or accepted this theological set of beliefs. It just means Abram heard the words the Lord said, and he took God at his word. You're right. I trust you. John Walton says this, believing that God says, faith is this, believing that what God says will become reality and then acting on that belief. Ultimately, this is what Abram had. Believing that what God said will become reality and acting on that belief. And then what happened? When he, believed, when he trusted what God said, it says this, and God credited it to him as righteousness. 
He was brought into right relationship with God. Do you long for right relationship with God? Do you know, want to know what right relationship with God is? It's this. It's faith. It's just simply this. It's taking God at his word. That's right relationship with God. And this, this verse just isn't found here in Genesis. The, the, the writers of the Bible use this verse again and again and again to tell us what faith is like. And, and I only have time to go to one of those. But In Romans, Paul uses this to tell us about our belief, about our saving faith in Christ. How it's not anything we work for. It's just that we take God at his word. That's it. And, and he says this. In fact, Abram was, Abraham was just, uh, if, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? It says, it says this. It says what we just read. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So listen, Paul says, to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. God would have owed this to him, but God didn't owe Abraham anything. To the one who does not work, but trusts God. That's all Abraham did. He trusted God. God who justifies the ungodly. What about you? Do you trust God that God will do what he says he can do? That it's God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. Their faith brings them into a right relationship with God. But it's not on you. It's on him. Listen, our, our salvation, Paul's saying our salvation is by grace through faith. It's God's. God in his grace justifies the ungodly. And we, we just trust we just believe. We just take God at his word. Yes, Lord, you can do it. This is what Paul says later in, in Romans 4. He says, No unbelief made Abram waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And here's his faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What about you? Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised? It's, it's convincing that happens not, it's not something we muster up. It's something that we look at who God is and we see that he's able. We look at what God's done and in his grace, he calls us to that trust in him. And it's just a response to all that he's done is trust, is faith. And then God moves forward with Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. Because Abram believed, God moves forward and goes to the next level in his relationship with him. He makes a covenant with him. But listen, Abraham didn't earn the covenant. God earned the covenant. God worked for the covenant. Abram just believed. Abram just trusted. And God now, it's as if God now says to him, okay, you trust me? Okay, now we can take a step forward. Now we can take another step forward. And here's the step he takes. He says, the Lord says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And, and, and this is where what happens next sounds weird to us, right? The Lord says, grab some animals and bring them. But what's weird to us is normal to Abraham because Abram doesn't skip a beat. He just grabs a bunch of animals, cuts them in half, drags the bloody carcasses apart. And separates them and apparently spends all day doing this because then by the time he's done, it's night. And, 
And if you don't know what's going on, Abram does. But the author tells us this is the day, eventually tells us this is the day that God made a covenant with Abraham. So that's what's happening here. And we'll get there in a minute. But first I want to point out what God says to him. Before they actually walk through this covenant, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? I mean, I thought this was, this was a new level of relationship with God. Shouldn't it be mountains and high points and beauty? And, and instead, it's, it's a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness. And it should feel a little bit ominous because the news that's coming isn't going to sound like the best news. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So Abram says, How am I going to know that I'm going to possess, and my, my descendants are going to possess this land that you promised God? How am I going to know it? And God says, Well, I know they will in 400 years. So, so my, my family, we sold our house recently because this market, you know how the housing market's been, right? It's taken off. Housing market took off, and we saw an opportunity. Our kids are grown. We want to get off of, we want to get off of a main street, get to a little bit of a quieter street. We want a little bit bigger house. We saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity for something better. So you know what we did? We sold our house. <laughs> and then the market shot up. We sold our house, and you know what we did? We got in a rental place. And, and what I did, because I didn't want to be stuck in that rental place, I negotiated with the landlord. I was supposed to sign a year lease, and I signed a six-month lease. I got him to sign a six He was really generous, signed a six-month lease. This is going to be great, because then I'm not in too deep, so that when we find a house, we'll be out of that six-month lease and won't be committed too much. That was two years ago. So this hasn't gone the way we've expected, Right? And it's been hard to wait at times. I mean, God's been teaching us contentment. God's been teaching us patience through it as a family together. And there's been days where we've walked it well, and there's been days where we haven't. Two years feels like a long time. But then I look at what happened to Abram. And God said, Abram, I want you to leave the house. that you know, I want you to move out. I want you to leave everything you know, because I've got a better house for you. And Abram does. He says, okay, let's go for it. And he moves to the rental. And then comes the fine print. And then the other shoe drops. This land is going to be yours 400 years. I hope it doesn't take 400 years for the housing market to turn around. Praise God. You know, you know what the Lord says, though? After he says this, he says, I have given this land to you and your descendants. After he makes the covenant, he's going to say, it's as good as done. 400 years is nothing to me. But it seems like something when we're in it, doesn't it? I, I mean, because we have our expectations that God will fill our needs right when we need it. And, and here's the kicker. We, we get humbled sometimes. Not just, God took Abraham out of the tent, right? Showed him the stars to humble him, right? Look at all of this vast universe I've made. And now you know what God does? Now God shows his timeline. And it's going to have the same effect on Abraham. At least it should. It should on us too. It should humble us. God's playing by a whole different timeline than we are. 
Because like, we, we want things quick, don't we? Stick dinner in the microwave, have it hot in two minutes. I, I, I know people who live without a microwave. I don't know how they do that. My family, we literally sat down to dinner last night. The microwave was going for about 20 minutes as each one of us heated up our individual leftovers. I don't know how people live without a microwave. Because we're a quick society. We're instant. We want solutions right away. We want the fix quick. We want to sell the house and move right into another one. We want to watch the show and in two hours have, or half an hour have closure. We want things right away, and God's playing on a whole different timeline than we are. And this is far from the last promise that takes a while to get fulfilled in the Bible, right? I mean, they just keep coming after this, after Genesis 15 and all the way to the very end. You look at the very end of the Bible, and, and the la- one of the last, I think it might be the last promise Jesus says in the Bible is this, Behold, I come quickly. And John says, Amen, come quickly, Lord. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. I mean, the disciples, like John, is sitting there on the island of Patmos, and he's like, any day now. Come quickly, Lord, any day. And I know about you, if, if you grew up in a family of faith, I did, by the grace of God, and I have grandparents and great-grandparents and parents who were like, any day now, and that was 40 years ago. There's this book, 1988 Reasons the Lord is Going to Return in 1988. Blew that one by, didn't we? 2,000 years. Was Jesus wrong? <laughs> Shouldn't have said quickly, Lord. No, he said it. He said, behold, I come quickly. But he's playing on a different timeline. His job is not to fulfill your expectations or my expectations. He's got a plan. And you know what? I was, Pastor Jeff was helping me prepare this message. And you know what he said? He said, God's plans are always better than our expectations. Do you know that? God's plans are always better than our expectations. And if I had my way, Jesus would have returned already. But that's not his plan. And it's better than our expectations. Because we hear quickly and we think God's slow. And you know what Peter tells us? God's not slow. He just has a different view of time. And he's not slow. He's patient. Listen, not wanting anyone to perish. See, there's still some stars up there that we don't know whose names are on them yet. And God's being patient until every last one that he's calling to, every last one that will receive him, comes to him. See, God's plans are far better than our expectations. God is that patient. Will we be patient with him? That's the invitation. Will we be patient with him? How you doing on waiting on God? Something you thought he promised long ago and it hasn't been fulfilled. And you're like, when, Lord, you're late. God says, no, I'm patient. Hang in there. I promised. I'm good. I'm able. 
I will. Just wait. God says this to Abram. This beautiful promise in the midst of 400 years. You're going to have to wait a long time, but this, Abram, like I have grace for you in this moment too. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Isn't that neat that God just throws that in there? Like the big scope, my big timeline is 400 years. There's a whole lot of wait and a whole lot of mess that's going to happen between now and then. But listen, my grace is sufficient now too. My peace sits for you today. Right here, right now. And the animals are split and there's blood all over the ground. And this weird scene, and when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Huh? And, 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 and really, we <laughs> the Bible is a mystery, right? <laughs> like it's God word, God's word, it tells us he's good, it tells us his character, his purposes for us, and yet it doesn't tell us everything. And there are mysteries that we're going to be plumbing until the end of time. And so, i got to be honest, we still don't know what this means fully. And, and here's, here's some of what we think it means. You know, back in that day in Mesopotamia, they, they, there were these symbols for some of their gods, some of their idols, and one was a blazing torch. And one was a censer, a pot. Like a, like a smoking fire pot. And they were symbols of their idols. And so maybe one of the things the Lord was doing was taking symbols that Abram was aware of and he was adopting him and saying, no, 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 <laughs> let me show you who's the real God here. And, and, and maybe he's speaking Abram's language here. And using symbols Abram's aware of to say, here I am. That could be one thing. But here, here's another thing you've got to know. This is the start of something here. We see fire representing the presence of God. And this is far from the last time we're going to see that happen. The language used here is the same language used for when God's on Mount, Mount Sinai. When, when there's a pillar of fire and a cloud of fire. It's blazing fire. And, and, and then there's smoke. And, and from here throughout Scripture, you're going to see this picture again and again. Fire used for God's presence. And smoke used for his purity, his holiness. And so God is setting up a symbol here that he's going to continue speaking through. Listen, you're going to see it again and again and again. I am holy and I'm here. If nothing else, maybe that's what God is saying to Abram right here. I'm holy and I am here. In the midst of this dreadful darkness, I'm holy and I'm here. And then, those symbols of God's presence, they don't just appear. They pass through the animals. They pass through the animals' halves. And, and some of you have heard, heard this before, if you've ever heard this preached on what this is. But this is how they signed a contract back in those days. Like, like we, we complete a contract, we complete an agreement, and what do we do today? We sign it. And now, now that doesn't mean as much as we used to, right? But did you ever look on the back of your credit card? You know what it says on the back of your credit card? It says, do not accept this unauthorized unless it's signed. And some of us got real smart because this is a whole identity theft thing, right? And, and we put CID. Do you know, there, do you know a, a place of business, if they see that, they're not actually supposed to run your credit card. 
We put that on there because we want to defend our identity. Make sure it's me so that somebody else isn't using my money. Listen, that signature is not for you. Do you know who that signature is for? Everybody else. Because that signature on the back of your credit card, you know what it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be you signing your contract. It's supposed to be you saying, I promise to pay this. I back this up. This is guaranteed because I'm signing this. See, the back of your credit card is not supposed to prove who you are. It's to prove that you will do what you said you're going to do. And so back then, this was the way they signed a contract. God's already proven who he is to Abram. And now he's going to say, now I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And I promise it. And the way they'd sign a contract is two parties would get together, cut animals in half, and spread them out on the ground, and walk between them. And the reason they did that was they're saying, listen, I'm going to hold up my end of the deal. I'm going to hold up my end of the relationship. And if I don't, may I be killed like these animals. May I be ripped apart. May the curse uh, that happened to these animals, may that curse fall on me. And we see this again and again in Scripture. Actually, in, in, in Jeremiah, God says this to the people of Israel, to people who haven't kept the agreement. He says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled my terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. God says they haven't kept the covenant. This is what they did for the covenant. They walked through the pieces of the calf, so that curse gets to fall on them. And so Abram cuts the animals, and he spreads them out on the ground, and the presence of God doesn't stay stationary. The presence of God passes between the animals. And God's saying, listen, Abram, I commit myself to you. This relationship, this promise, it is guaranteed. I will do what I said I'm going to do. And if I don't, this is how seriously I'm taking this guaranteed. If I don't, the God of all creation says, may I be ripped apart like these animals. May this curse fall on me if I don't uphold my end of the deal. This is a guarantee. And this is good news. Because one thing Tim, Tim Keller talks about, these contracts, these covenants, and, and he says, when it comes to a covenant, we've got two questions, right? When it comes to a relationship with God, we've got two questions. What about you, God? Like, can I trust you? Are, are you who you say you are? Can I trust you to do what you say you're going to do? And, and we've seen through this whole chapter, through all of chapter 15, God says again and again and again to Abram, this is who I am. You can trust me to do what I say I'm going to do. And he does it again here. He passes through. And he says, I, this is such a guarantee that if I don't hold up and do what I say I'm going to do, may the curse fall on me. So when you're in relationship with God, do I have to wonder about God? Can I trust God? Yes, you can. Of course, here's the other question. What about me? I mean, what about me? 
God. This is a relationship, right? And you've done all this for me, and I, I, I don't know if I can live in relationship with you. I, I don't know if I can hold up my end of the deal. And, and, and Abram, for this covenant, he's asleep. <laughs> not, just, not just doesn't Abram have to walk through the animals, he's asleep. The curse doesn't have to fall on him. And, and this is a picture of the gospel right here. Because in our relationship with God, we can start to wonder about us, right? I mean, just, Jesus died for our sins, and he paid the price, and he extended that love to us so that we might be saved. And gosh, Lord, you've done so much for me. I, shouldn't I be doing something for you? I mean, yes, believe, yes, trust, but... But, but shouldn't I walk in a way that's pleasing to you? Shouldn't I, I live in a way that's pleasing for you? Yes, that's the invitation, by the way. But it's an invitation that we can't hold up. We can in our own strength. We can't hold up my, our end of the deal. Like, like we, we come to God, and he's done all this for us, and we are unable to hold up our, our relationship with him. We're broken, imperfect, messed up, people and we can look at ourselves and say I'm not reliable I'm not enough so, so what happens to the curse then right if God doesn't hold up into his end of the deal the curse falls on him if I don't, don't, hold, don't hold up my end of the deal shouldn't the curse fall on me it doesn't because God passed through so that if he doesn't hold end up his end up of the deal, his end of the deal up, if he doesn't hold up, if he doesn't come through, he says, "May I be cursed." And if we don't come through, you know what he says? I'll take that curse on me. I'll take that curse on me. And and, and this right here is a point to, to thousands of years later. When God himself stepped down and let that deep and dreadful darkness come on him. So that when we didn't hold up our end of relationship with him, when we were rebels, when we walked away, when we couldn't face, God said, Jesus said, that curse, let it fall on me. And it did. And it did. And it never has to fall on you. So when you walked in here today, you should have picked up one of these communion cups. If you don't have one, raise your hands and somebody will be around to pass one out to you. Because as we look here and God cut covenant with Abraham, God cut covenant with us too. And he invited us into this relationship with him that we're not worthy of, that we already failed before we even got started. And yet he took the curse on himself. And Jesus, when he was lifted up on that cross, took the curse on himself for us so that we might never experience that curse. And Jesus sat with his disciples as he approached that cross, knowing what would happen, willingly taking the curse on himself for us. Listen, so that we might be in right relationship with God. And the only thing 
for us to do is believe. The only thing for us to do is to trust. Because the work has all been done by him. So as God cut covenant with Abraham here, Jesus makes a new covenant. And he sits with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And he says to them, I've got some symbols here of the new covenant that I'm going to make with you. And it's a covenant that isn't dependent on you. It all depends on me. In fact, it depends on me so much. Look at this bread here. And he takes this bread from the table and he breaks it in front of his disciples. And he says, just like animals were torn apart in the old covenant, to make an old covenant, just like their bodies are torn apart and broken, this is my body and I will be the lamb and my body will be broken for you. And he says, take and eat and remember. Let's take and eat and remember that Christ was broken for us. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. And he says, this is the wine of the new covenant. The wine of the new covenant. And just wait till you spend the rest of eternity figuring out all that you have in my new covenant. When you come into relationship with me, he says, this is the wine of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. Take this in remembrance of what it means. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you, God, for the new covenant that you made with us. We thank you that it's not a covenant of law where we have to work our way back to you, but it's a covenant where you've already done the work. It's not a covenant where we suffer a curse because we haven't held up our end of the deal. It's a, it's a covenant where you willingly suffered the curse of our betrayal, the curse of our rebellion, the curse of our sin. You took that on yourself so that we never have to. And all that's left to us is believe. God, we thank you that you so loved us that you sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world so that any who believe in him might not perish, might not fall under a curse, but have eternal life. Jesus, we come before you today and we examine our own hearts. And we thank you for the grace to trust you today.
God, we sit before you as your people saying we believe that this sacrifice was for us because there is no other way, no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. Lord, we believe that you rose again so that we might have new life in you. God, we believe you. We thank you that you are the God who is able, that you are the God who keeps your promises. And so, God, we trust that your salvation for us is sure. God, that as we come to trust you as Lord and Savior, we know not just our future is secure, but our present is sure, for we are in relationship with you. God, we, all of us, receive the blessing of relationship with you today. Jesus, you are ours, and we are yours. And God, we thank you for the way you have made that sure. We thank you that if we ever doubt our, your love, we just need to look back at the cross. If we ever doubt your promise, we just need to look at the resurrection. God, we love you. We thank you. And we believe. In your name we pray. Amen. People of grace, would you stand to your feet and let's worship him.